0: Peak Performance knows that, according to studies, nearly 30 million men suffer from ED and won't do anything about it. Maybe they're afraid the solution will be painful. Maybe they don't react well to medication. Maybe they're afraid it won't work. Don't be part of that 30 million. Call 1-800-210-8181. That's 1-800-210-8181. Or visit peakperformanceformen.com. Peak Performance. Man at his peak.
1: Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic, too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com
2: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall, a retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
3: As promised. I am the host of A Different Perspective, and we are here on a special edition with Paul Hynek. We will get to him in just a moment, it, but for my friends out there, I'd like to say one thing winter has come. You know, for those of you who understand Westeros, will know what I'm talking about now. Uh, there has been a show on the History Channel for the last several weeks called Project Blue Book, and cleverly, it's about Project Blue Book, and the main character, who used to play Littlefinger on Game of Thrones, uh, is playing uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And I am joined today by Paul Hynek, the son of J. Allen Hynek, to talk about the program and how he feels about the way his father's treated, how he thinks the program is progressing, how he likes it or dislikes it, what I think about it, and all those sorts of things. I'm going to read you a short resume of Paul Hynek, uh, which is very impressive, uh, by the way. Uh, He is Dick has decades of successful experience in finance, technology, and entertainment. I wish I had decades of experience <laughs> in finance. I'll tell you that right now. Paul is a Wharton MBA. And for those of you who've read the um, series by Webb Griffin called Brotherhood of War, you'll understand the importance of the Wharton School of Business. He's an adjunct professor of finance and accounting at Pepperdine University, which means he's not suffering through the cold like we are. And really, we I keep saying those things kind of puts us into perspective here of where we are and what time it is of the year, rather than kind of leaving it generic. Anyhow, an adjunct professor of finance and accounting at Pepperdine University and the creator of startup finance projection software That's raised over a billion dollars for thousands of uh, startups. He has significant uh, executive software and high-tech experience in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, which covers a lot of area. Paul was involved in, and here's the good parts, Paul was involved in making of Avatar, Lord of the Rings, Planet of the Apes, probably not the good one with Charlton Heston, uh, Tintin, Real Steel, Warcraft, The Hobbit, Halo, Call of Duty, and numerous other movies and games. Paul has led a successful acquisition of Giant Studios' ownership of its renowned virtual production, Motion Picture Capture Software, and was instrumental in Giant's sale to James Cameron for Avatar 2 through 5, which I suggest there's going to be sequels to Avatar. Uh, Paul is a consultant on History's new hit show, Project Blue Book, which is what we'll be talking about, and was a techn- uh, technology consultant on, what is it, Maine versus Shark? Or is that supposed to be Man versus Shark? Uh, Maine. Maine versus Shark, okay, I read it right, Uh, which uh, was on the Discovery Channel's Big Shark Week special in August, uh, or will be, I guess, there in August of 2019. As I said, he has a Master of Business Administration from uh, Wharton School of Business, Master of Arts of International Studies from the University of Pennsylvania's Joseph H. Lauder Institute, and a BA in French from the University of Illinois or as we say, Illinois, just to annoy the people who live there. Paul's a highly rated course at Pepperdine uses a curriculum he developed that combines elements of accounting, finance, personal finance, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, and negotiations also features diverse guest speakers, world experience, and great food. Paul Hynek, welcome to A Different Perspective. Thank you, Kevin,
4: and I'm happy to bring you some California sunshine. Uh, You failed, pal. It's like twenty one <laughs>
3: degrees below zero here, and it's even colder in Ontario, so there you have it
4: hey i I've done my stint more than twenty winters in Chicago, and
3: it's really cold there too by the way
4: yeah Siberia
3: <laughs> uh, I think the big topic of discussion in the UFO field and I don't I, I'm sure you've you've seen the various reviews of the program and how some people of the UFO community absolutely hate it and others who sort of like myself, look at it as um, a drama as opposed to a documentary. So we can kind of separate the elements of the drama from the elements of history that are kind of plugged into this thing. Um, what, what is the feedback that you've seen? How, how are people reacting when they find out who you are and how you've connected to this?
4: Uh, feedback I get is, is really good. Um, most of the people I talk to about the show are, let's say, UFO civilian types. And just want to have good entertainment, and they find the show to be really fun, like sort of a modern update on X Files, but set back in the 50s. Um, and I've talked with a lot of people in the UFO community, including yourself. We had a, a nice correspondence. Um, and and yes, it's it's not meant to be a documentary, like you said, but a a drama, a highly dramatized portrayal based on real people and real events. Um, I think it's really fun. It's the kind of show. That really helps get a discussion going and and get, hopefully, sort of open the aperture to welcome more people into a serious discussions about one of the most vexing questions ever to confront mankind.
3: Well, the one thing that uh, inspired me to get in touch with members of the family was after watching the first episode, I wondered how the Hynek family viewed the way uh, J. Allen Hynek was being treated in the program, and I hadn't really seen anything about that. That was kind mm-hmm. of why I reached out to you to find out uh, how you felt about it. And I mean, it's very fictionalized about his investigations of UFOs, and so I, I wondered, you know, how do you how do you deal with that, and and are you pleased the way he is presented? Yeah. So you know, this was a show that was going to be made
4: using public domain aspects of my father's life, whether or not the family was involved. Um, And the network was very gracious to allow us to be part of the show, my brother Joel and I, to give more input and sort of color as to my dad's character. One of the reasons we were happy to do that was uh, you may well agree that when, when I see portrayals of scientists, they often kind of look at them as, as Vulcans and just always using logic everywhere and not a living, breathing, warm human being. So we are very happy to get involved to, um, to, you know, provide a fuller portrait of what my father and, and my mother, uh, were like, uh, both as people and, and their work with UFOs in the air force. And so we've been, we've been very happy with, uh, our ability to participate and, You know, the show is not striving to be accurate, but really to be authentic with how they sort of grok the characters of my mom and dad and use them in ways that are authentic and respectful in, you know, highly
3: stretched circumstances. Well, I was. Uh, I'm going to tell you a joke that a friend of mine, Bob Cornett, and I were going to play on your father because we were both Air Force people, and we thought we'd put on our u- be put on our uniforms where he might be lecturing us somewhere, and walk up to him and quietly whispering to him, "Dr. Heinek, do you have the time?" And then leave. Anybody? <laughs> wonder- what did these two Air Force guys come in and, and tell tell him that uh, about that? Well, he, they just asked me the time. You know, who, who's going to believe that? We thought that would be a wonderful joke <laughs> right. to play on him. Never had the opportunity, unfortunately. So. Well, you go. he would like that. He had
4: a very very uh, acute sense of humor.
3: Well, we just thought that would be a wonderful thing to do, because he could <laughs> never explain it to anybody, I suppose. Well, I guess he
4: might feel like he's sort of being downgraded because. When the Blue Book folks approach him, there's three Air Force guys. So if there's only two coming later, then things might be simmering down a bit. <laughs>
3: I hadn't thought of. I could have rounded up some of my my other Air Force pals to <laughs> visit with him. I suppose. <laughs> yes. uh, so you're you're not concerned with the highly fictionalized way the um, program is going. You you find that not to really harm, I guess, UFO research in any way and kind of makes it more interesting? Well,
4: I, I don't know if I'm really equipped to speak on effects on overall UFO research. I think it's more your your wheelhouse. But in, in terms of of how it portrays, you know, my parents, I, I I don't think people will watch this. And and, you know, we've had a lot of people ask us questions about small things like, is that what your house looked like and things like that? <laughs> But I think most people understand that this is not meant to be, Um, you know, my dad was not likely looking into a tank with some kind of alien creature or holding an alien skull. There was not a Russian spy. Um, So I think it's clearly understood. And also, you know, history is going to great uh, efforts. To allow people to see real live things, you know, at the end of each show, they they show uh, you know a few seconds of, of real aspects of the case. There's interviews with our family and Jacques Vallee and, and Richard Dolan and others talking in more details about the real cases. We've done a lot of publicity events for them, and they've made us available for interviews to to give sort of you know the real side of what happened and what our our parents were like. So we feel that this is a great way to showcase the importance of this overall effort in a way that only fiction can. So we're, uh, we're
3: all behind it. And, uh, you know, looking at it from that point of view, I, I guess caught some flack from my colleagues simply because I say I enjoy the program. And I realized that to do a successful program, you have to bring in elements of drama that may not be there. But the one thing that was struck me as you were talking there was uh, I had
5: Don't wait. Visit sono, com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.
3: James Carrion about his The Roswell Deception book, and he was talking about how the 1947 wave was kind of a way of, of, of dra- uh, exposing Soviet spies. And I was watching the program last night thinking, oh, my goodness, there's the Soviet spy they were trying to out. Uh, Uh, talking on her radio. So maybe cam uh, not Cameron, but uh, carrie was uh, more correct than we thought. We're going to have to take a quick break here, uh, talk about some of the other things going on with the program. Uh, And uh, you all listening should be tuning in to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, XCBN, to take a look at uh, some of the other fine programs. We will be back right after this. I believe the younger son of um, Jalen Hynek talking about Project Blue Book and the family's reaction to the program and the, uh, I guess you might say, the factual nature of it as opposed to the dramatic nature of it. And we were talking about the Russian spies, uh, which I I guess is a dramatic uh, interpretation of some of the events that that went on. But the question, I guess it sprung to my mind as we were kind of talking about that was... Um how much did you get uh, of his investigations of UFOs did you did they did it come up in dinner table conversation for example or were you well involved with it were you excited about UFOs or did you not care Ah, okay and yes I'm the fourth of five children
4: of of my parents Um I, you know I was fascinated by it it you know somebody asked me what's when did you first you know become aware of UFOs. Well, some of my earliest memories were, you know, Christmas tree ornaments that were UFOs and flying saucers. Um, So it was just part of our overall fabric of life. And, you know, we were, you know, primarily my dad was an astronomer. That's how he would identify himself. And he had uh, later in his career a part-time job that sort of blossomed or metastasized, however you look at it, into something that became... You know, something that he's 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 very well known for, but it, he was a scientist. And so we were brought up in a way to always question things and look at things and analyze things. And what better, you know, Gordian not to try to unravel than is there life elsewhere? And have they come to visit us? And do we have people at our dinner table that are telling the truth about
3: what they think they saw? When you say people at the dinner table, I assume you're talking about UFO researchers, uh, UFO witnesses, Air Force officers, those sorts of people? All of the above, that's right. Anybody that stood out for, uh, in your mind as being exciting or <laughs> maybe not quite so honest? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I, I could tell you too, that the sort of, sort of uh, bookend of uh, the phenomenon. One was Father Gill, um, the, the Anglican priest who had a, a famous sighting in Papua New Guinea. Um, and he was there for, in the U S for an ecumenical conference and, uh, in Chicago, and he'd already met my father. And so he came to the house for dinner and, you know, if you come to our house for dinner and you've seen a UFO, you're pretty much going to have to talk about it. That's the quid pro quo for having my mom cook a dinner for you. And, and so my father had already talked to us about, you know, talking to witnesses and the quality of witnesses, et cetera and seeing this man who was clearly in possession of his senses very earnest not overly desirous of recounting the story again and well, just let, uh, let
3: me let me break in here because some hmm? people may not be familiar with, with uh, father gill and, and his ufo sighting can you give us a little bit of background on that sure i think it was 1959
4: and there was a there were a lot of people outside in here to commotion he goes outside and they see a craft hovering above the ground, perhaps five hundred feet or so above the ground. They're looking at it, and at some point, a hatch opens up, um, and they see uh, humanoids. And they wave, and these humanoids wave back.
3: Um, when and- you say when you say humanoids, did they? Uh, I understand humanoid is you know a single head, two arms, two legs, that kind of thing. Yeah. But were they were they more human looking, or were they more sort of alien looking? Were they, uh, did, they did they get a good look at them? Yeah, I don't remember whether they were more the, the classical greys
4: or humans, but certainly, you know, bipedal creatures. And they waved back when the the people on the ground waved at them? Yeah, yeah. And then there was another sighting the next day. And there may have been, I'm not sure, but I think there was some type of other corroboration, like another sighting fairly nearby. And so this is a very interesting case. My father liked it quite a lot uh, based on the number of witnesses and the the intelligence Uh, of Father Gill. So he's recounting this case and just the way he talked about it, where I could see that this is a man who clearly appeared to be sincere in thinking that he had seen this and was consistent over the years with his accounts. Um, And so that was one of the people I really enjoyed. I mentioned sort of the other end of the spectrum and we had some people that come to our house who had, I think even you would agree, looser grips on reality than Project Blue (laughs) Book. Um, And, and, you know, some of them would say things like, I'm Prince Michael from Orion and um, you don't believe me, you can call the CIA and I'll put a million dollars in your bank account. Um, And people that came and said, you know, my father should leave Italy where he was traveling because of the impending seismic activity and that Brezhnev and President Reagan would be hand slaughtered the next day on the steps of the Kremlin and the White House respectively. So we had a, a, a quite a variety of, of dinner guests.
3: Well, my, uh, my pal Rob McConnell uh, was had a guest on uh, his program that talked about how those of us who had served in Iraq really didn't go to Iraq. We had, been go- we had gone to Mars to fight, the a- fight with aliens up there against <laughs> other aliens and <laughs> all of this stuff. And, uh, and so I did a column on my blog, kevinrandall.blogspot.com, which gives me a chance to, to uh, plug that. Uh, about how, yeah, that was all true. We, we were on Mars and um, it was amazing that they were able to, we could order stuff from uh, Walmart and get it within a week. We thought the amazing distribution from, from Earth to Mars. <laughs> and we could call home and there was no delay yeah. in the signal or anything like that. And so it was all true. Um, but I, so, I, I, and I don't understand why people would would listen to that sort of thing. I can understand why your father would have people over who would tell these wild stories. Because well, that's part of I ufology. That, I wouldn't say that he
4: had them over. Uh, father Dill, <laughs> oh. he did invite over. The other ones just sort of showed up at our door, and and conveniently, uh. most of the time, the father wasn't there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you had the rare and distinct opportunity to interview them yourself? Not so rare, but distinct, <laughs> yes. Did you did you get involved in many of investigations? Not necessarily with Blue Book, but but UFO investigations with your father. No, I, I didn't. I mean, I was a young whippersnapper. Um,
4: I, I would I would ask a lot of questions, but there wasn't a lot of value that I think my father thought I could add. Um, now, my brother Joel was was older. And so he was there doing some more, more of the Blue Book years. I was really what I call around during the Close Encounters years. Um, huh. so, so, maybe, so
3: you're that much younger then.
4: <laughs> yes, that's right. Um and my brother, Joel, at my father's request, would, would tape conversations uh, to, to record them, to have them for archive. Um, so, you know, I remember I tried to earn my junior field investigator badge one day because a, a call came in and I was talking to the, to the person. And I took my father out there and it turned out the guy was just completely nuts and almost violently so. He had this big knife. And so I just had to get my dad out of there. And I think that was probably the end of my investigatory career.
5: <laughs> a
3: big knife, uh,
4: a
5: crock. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and in inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello.
6: While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and in inches to their problem areas.
5: Don't wait. Visit Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save.
3: The Dial Dundee knife. Yeah. yeah. That's a knife. Yeah. <laughs> was there uh, any cases that uh, your father was involved in that uh, kind of caught your fancy as well, that uh, he maybe discussed with you or something like that? Well, we mentioned the Father Gill one. He also liked Socorro quite a lot, Lonnie Zamora.
4: Uh, It was a very interesting case in Rendlesham Forest um, and and a variety of others. But, you know, for my for my dad and, you know, a lot of people would ask me, did your dad ever see a UFO? Um, And I've seen accounts that he saw two things that he couldn't explain, but he didn't attach a lot of credence to it because it's just one person seeing something. Okay, there's not a lot that you do with that. So and he also didn't like to talk about things that he may have seen himself because that would tend to sort of impugn his own integrity as just an impartial observer of a phenomena, as opposed to somebody who's been contacted or had his own special experience.
3: Well, in my own case, you know, people say, well, have you ever seen a UFO? And most of the time I say no, because it's just not worth going into the explanation. But when I was growing up in Denver, I was a member of the Denver UFO Society, which I think is still going on. And we had a big get together down in Castle Rock, um, which is south of Denver, one night and we were sitting around the campfire watching when we saw a light go overhead, got directly overhead, flashed once and continued on. This was back in the days when the sky wasn't littered with satellites and, um, it was in a polar orbit. I don't think there was really anything in a polar orbit Ah. at that time. So, uh, you know, that's my UFO sighting, but you know, it's just a light Ah. crossing the sky. Ah, well, um, speaking about, uh um, UFO
4: activities, uh, or the community in, in Colorado, I'm going there at the behest of, of Paula Harris, who's a longtime family friend and well-known UFO investigator to speak at the University of Colorado in March.
3: And what will be the topic other than you just UFOs do you have? What do you talk about? Uh, to be
4: determined how much more specific it will be than UFOs.
3: <laughs> you wait to the last minute like I do then.
4: <laughs> that's a long. That's a long event horizon right there.
3: <laughs> I see, I see. Uh, when you did you have much input into the cases picked for uh, the Project Blue Book program? Uh, no, and we didn't need to. Uh, both David O'Leary, the show
4: creator, and Arturo Interian, the senior vice president of scripted programming for history, are amazingly uh, knowledgeable. And passionate about the UFO phenomena.
3: Well, let me, uh, let me we're going to have to take a break here in just a minute. Let me say, I've been in, in contact with Octura for a, uh, a number of um, uh, weeks here. We've had a nice back and forth, and I am astonished at the level of. Oh, yeah. Uh, Of uh, experience and knowledge that he has of the UFO phenomena because I didn't even mention some of the stuff to him and he's talking about the 4602nd Air Intelligence Service Squadron which was responsible for some of the UFO investigations and things like that so he's well well equipped to be involved in this sort of thing as I say we're gonna have to take a a break Um, I will have more information up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I'll have a review of last night's program up there as well, uh, which didn't impress me much. Um, It seemed to get too much of the esoterica of the situation as opposed to the UFO sightings and some things that happened in the program. I just don't see the military being engaged in. And uh, if you get a chance, take a look at some of the other fine programs on the X-Zone broadcast network, which I always mean to say and, and. sometimes forget to do, because you'll find a lot of things of interest in a wide range of subjects. We will be back with Paul Hynek right after this.
2: get both the book and the DVD a $40 value for only $19.99 to order your book and DVD today go to lamarzuli.net that's l a m a r z u l l i.net Rob McConnell here presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jennicks author of a fascinating book Amen it presents facts revealed by Egyptologist they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com.
3: In keeping with the tradition set up by... Oh, I don't know, Edward R. Murrow and many others, we are back. I am joined by Paul Hynek. We're talking about Project Blue Book. We're talking about uh, his father's investigations for Project Blue Book and other things of interest to us. Uh, when we went away, we were kind of talking about the, I guess the expertise of the, the showrunners, uh, the people involved with the making of the program. Yeah. Um, and they kind of picked the cases that would be looked at for the, for the program. Yes, yes
4: no. that's right. That's right. And <laughs> uh, you know, one time I, I tried to stump uh, David, the creator, and Arturo, the the network executive, with some arcane UFO
3: knowledge, uh, Project Twinkle, and they both just went rattling off on it. I, uh, I really like Project Twinkle, too, although I understand that the green fireballs still are seen over the southwestern United States periodically. I mention that simply to point out that I know what Project Twinkle is as well. <laughs> Very good. Uh, the, the one thing, that, and I, I'm going to digress here because, frankly, it's my show and I can. The um, Rupelt in his book, was talking about Project Twinkle, and they had a plan to set up cameras to try to photograph these things, yeah. and it never came about. But if you go through the Project Twinkle document, you find out that there was a camera that had been deployed, and it hadn't had gotten some pictures. And I always wondered, I've always tried to find those pictures, and I've never had any success with it. But there was a, was a camera deployed in an attempt to... Uh, photographed the green one of the green fireballs and uh, it just didn't didn't pan out but so they they picked the programming they picked the cases they wanted I've noticed that the timeline is skewed as well because we started out with um, you know the Fargo North Dakota Gorman case from what 1948 and then we jumped to 1952 Mm -hmm. then we were 1951 and last night we were back to 1948 Uh, and I understand they're they're doing a drama. So those sorts of, I guess, minutiae isn't important to them, but um, is is that come up in conversations that they're kind of jumping around uh, the board on on the dates of the the cases? Oh, sure. And they're they're
4: certainly aware of that. Uh, But what they're trying to do with the show uh, is is portray, you know, real UFO cases and sort of imagine what would have happened if the reports are true. Um, and it fits better in the narrative arc to sort of change the order around, but still to present the the real-life versions of the cases at the end of each episode.
3: The uh, Well, last night's episode, and I, if, you, if you haven't watched it and you want to, spoilers ahead, um, they break into, I, I guess, a top-secret lab, and they find, you mentioned it earlier, an, an alien in a,
4: in a jacuzzi. Two-
3: <laughs> okay, a jacuzzi, uh, a big tube floating around in there, and yeah. there was actually a hit. It might be alive. I don't know if that was just something that I picked up. And yeah, right. Day, but, uh, does does that worry you at all about the, um, about the Whether program? Whether they're alive or not, you mean? No, no, no. I mean, the, the, the fact <laughs> that they get into this top secret lab. Well, I guess what bothered me was it's a top secret lab, and they got in there awfully easily. And, and, um, yeah, sure. And Littlefinger sure. was taken, I shouldn't say that, uh, Dr. Hynek hey. was taken pictures. Yeah. For those yeah, of you sure. don't know, the, the man who plays Dr. Hynek was Littlefinger in, in Game of Thrones. Right. right. And you know, you,
4: you mentioned uh, Winter is Coming earlier, which is obviously, uh, win- uh, as no. you said. Winter has come. <laughs> Winter has come, right, which is which is a reference to Game of Thrones. Now, if the producers of Game of Thrones had made a documentary Uh, first of all, well, that didn't exist, but they made a documentary about Middle Ages and all that. People wouldn't be talking about that. But just like with Close Encounters, which is a fictional piece, the the word Close Encounters, that phrase that my father coined, has entered the vernacular. And that's the power of these fictionalized portrayals of whether or not they're based on real life circumstances to get attention and people talking about a phenomenon, which is something that my dad felt was very important. He was really a I mentioned an astronomer and a popularizer of science, and he enjoyed the effect that close encounters had on getting people to look at UFOs as a serious phenomenon, and I think he'd feel the same way about this show as well.
3: Well, I, I think the difference is there when you talk about Game of Thrones, it's not predicated on European history. As, we're not saying, well, based on true events in European history, although some of us can identify some of the yeah. True event, I mean, events, true events. But wrappings, right? But but with with Project Blue Book, they say you know um, it was suggested by real events or, or based on mm-hmm. true stories or something like that. So there's a difference there that they're kind of hinting. Um, maybe well, there's more validity like, to, the, um, to the more validity than 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 is really in the in the program. And I I understand the difference between the drama and the history, and you're not making a documentary, but you know that. Based on real events is kind of worrisome to us.
4: Yeah, I, I can't speak to your colleagues. Um, you know, I, my my feeling is well, some of them I, I, I know, but you know, my feeling is that if people watch this, you know, the UFO researchers will spot immediately things that were real and were not real. Um, people that are just lay people and are interested in watching a show on a tuesday night they may not know exactly what was real or not but i think it's pretty clear and the the show isn't trying to portray all of this as having actually happened so um you know um I'm, i'm comfortable with how the show is portrayed you know yes based on real events and then then they're off to the races after about five
3: minutes I think last night it didn't take him five minutes, but <laughs> the, one, the one thing that I, I liked about last night's program is at the very end, and I don't know how many people stick around to read those things, but it talked about the Child's Witted case, which is the yeah, right. airline airline pilots who saw the thing flashed by their, their airplane back in 1948. Right. If you look
4: carefully, when uh, Aiden, playing my father, is in that plane, he's writing on a notepad and he's writing Child's Witted.
3: But but it was was he actually? I never I did not understand whether he was really in the airplane or it was kind of imagining what it would have been like on the airplane and making his notes.
4: So yeah, he was maybe, with, that, that's left, maybe that's best left for
3: interpretation. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, what I liked about it when they when they did the, the analysis of the case at the end, they pointed yes. out that your father's first inclination was that it was a bolide, a very bright meteor. Right. Right. And look, and looking at looking at the case, and looking at what Tiles and Wood had said, and I, you know, I've seen the the Air Force file, and everything else has been written on it. And there was an interesting thing on YouTube that I picked up oh, a long time ago now, called compilation meteor fall compilation. It was three minutes and nineteen seconds, and it was somebody put together all these uh, videos that had made of meteor falls over the last several years after we all all got uh, cameras and phones and everything. And when you watch the things break up. As they came come apart, you get, you know, we get to see it and we get to slow it down and look at it. But if you caught a just an, an instant of that or a part of it, it would look like a lighted cockpit and square windows trailing fire out the end. And I think that the um, Charles Witted case is explained by that, especially when you bring in the Zon 4. And now I'm getting into the minutia of this, but the Zon 4 reentry uh, was a Soviet craft that broke up and fell into the atmosphere, and a number of people made illustrations of what they had seen and look an awful lot like the illustrations that uh, Childs and Wooded had made after they had seen the thing in 1948, which to me suggests that your father's explanation back in 1948 was probably the right one. Right. So so that, right, that's interesting, right? So you have this dramatic
4: portrayal of what it could have been and the effects it has and, you know, the possible occupants of these crafts and their luxurious, you know, tank accommodations in some Air Force base, you know, being, you know, watched over by Werner von Braun, who my father actually did meet. But then at the end of the show, they tell you, okay, well, Dr. Hynek said he thought this was a meteor. So
3: it would be clear then that most of that stuff then actually didn't happen. Well, you can say that the, you know, Charles Whitted case didn't happen, but the rest of the program isn't really predicated on that case. It's predicated on what else was going on in the investigation that Quinn and your father are engaged in or little fingers engaged in if you want to be that way. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I wondered what um, his reaction would be to the way the thing is moving forward. Your indication is that he would have, he would enjoy the program for the drama that it is. I think so, because I, I, I think he, he would have felt that people would
4: know that this is not meant to be um, a documentary. And I think he would have thought it was great fun
3: and just kick back with his comfortable slippers and popcorn and have a grand old time. One of the things, one of the things that I read, I, I think he, actually this morning, was one of the people saying that Dr. Heineck must be spinning in his grave because of the portrayal. And your attitude, having known the man much better than any of the rest of us would have, is that he would be enjoying the program. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard for a son to
4: predict what his father would think about something sometimes, but I I, I don't you know, um, I think he would think that it's doing a service in getting people to have a an open look at a phenomenon that is not going away, um, and that's portrayed in a way that's kind of a you
3: know barn burning cereal. And so we can we look at it. I look at it as a drama with a X-Files vibe to it that is Mm -hmm. based very loosely on the Project Blue Book files and and that investigation. But I I don't I don't see that as a major problem. And I think you're right that it's getting people interested in UFOs who may not have had any interest in it. Just well, I, I know when I watch some of these. Reality TV programs, one of the first things I do is check to see how much information is available on this reality and how accurate it might be portrayed. We are going to have to take another quick break here uh, because we're just getting up against the, uh, the time. Uh, as I say, uh, take a look at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And if you would like more information on the Lonnie Zamora case, the uh, Socorro, Info- Socorro, New Mexico case that was mentioned just a moment ago, I did a book, Encounter in the Desert, which is about the Lonnie Zamora case and all of that that went on. Also, just remember to take a look at the X-Zone Broadcast Network uh, website, see if there's some programs on there that will uh, excite you and bring you to uh, uh, the other programs when you get a chance. I will be back uh, in just a few seconds with Paul Hynek. We will be talking about the Project uh, Project Blue Book program. Say that fast really, say that three times really fast. We will be back right after this.
1: Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about dot com.
3: I am here with Paul Hynek, the younger son of Jalen Hynek. We're talking about Project Blue Book, the program, and how it all comes together, and UFO sightings, and all of that good stuff. And we were kind of looking at um, how his father might have treated the program. But let me take it uh, a step further because I, I actually met Mimi Heineck as well, especially when we did the Roswell dig back in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. What would your mother think about the program and the way she's portrayed in it? Uh, so, yeah, I think my dad would have thought, oh, it's, a, it's great fun. My mom would have said, oh, it's a
4: bunch of nonsense and they don't need to have me in there. That's what I think <laughs> she would have said. And and Joel's in it. Yeah. Well, Joel is kind of an amalgamation of all the family of all the of all the children, uh, including the daughters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, and and one of the things we've showed them, you know, they just in a show, I like guess you don't have that much time to develop the the characters, uh, the, the 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 children's characters. But the reality in our house was, you know, my brother my brother Scott got his PhD from MIT, so he's a very smart scientist and engineer. And Joel is making nitroglycerin and making a jet engine in the backyard and doing shortwave or ham radio. So there's a lot more richness that could be tapped from the children's lives uh, and that the producers may delve into in upcoming episodes. I don't know.
3: What uh, what about the Russian spy aspect of this? As I said earlier, um, uh, James Carrion is probably excited about that, given his take on what was really going on back then. Um it, why why is this in the in the program there was really no sort of real contact with Russian spies or anything like that in real life well i, I well if there had if
4: I knew of contact with the Russian spies they would have had to be an extraordinarily bad spies because I was like a ten year old kid um but you know i think one of the things that that um the show does is you know set against the backdrop of this is is really one of the you know, because Project Blue Book, and you mentioned the 4602nd the Air Squadron, which really started siphoning off the cases, I think, around 1953 from Project Blue Book. They were the most promising ones for the Air Force to, you know, reverse engineer propulsion systems, etc., and leaving Blue Book mainly a PR exercise to tamp down hysteria. And just, as the show says, I think correctly, just solve cases. Just solve as many cases as you can. Take this nettlesome worry away. And in in, in essence, as, as, David O'Leary, the creator, says this is kind of a forerunner to our fake news today, and so it's set at a different time. But we can examine that concept, and having Russian spies then, and of course Russian interference and in things now, um, it's kind of a of a call
3: out for things that may come. I hadn't thought about it in that in that context. That we're kind of looking at it in today's environment, and we're setting it back mm-hmm. into the 1950s uh, with the that- Russian interference. That's that's a good point. Right. And that's something that one of the reasons that that David
4: set the show, because he has an abiding and longtime hardcore nerd interest in UFOs. And if you want to make a show about UFOs, there's a lot of people you can portray or a lot of time periods. But that's one of the reasons he chose the 50s is to, to examine that angle.
3: Well, I would like to say uh, next time you talk to David, mention that my life is just a really exciting thing to do. Uh, and my UFO research would just be a wonderful program. I'll expect a phone call here soon. Just a little. Yeah, no, he's, he's texting me already, saying, "But Kevin Randall is such a hard get. Could we really get him? <laughs> and and it would cost a huge sack of money. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, so you know, well, well, I guess you know what you're saying is we're looking at it from, I guess, the 1950s point of view. And last night they were talking about, and I, and I wasn't quite sure what the, your mother and your brother were going to uh, some kind of a a program about how to survive an atomic blast or something. And your father said something about, you know, fallout shelter is not going to help you or whatever. Um, Was, was there any, really anything like that going on in the fifties? I mean, in your household, I understand from the fifties, I don't remember doing the duck and cover in school, but. um, Well, that that was before my time. So,
4: uh, you know, I I was born in the sixties. So I I don't know what happened in our house in the fifties. I, I don't know of any, Uh, stories or accounts of bomb shelters. Uh, But I I think that's partly, you know, that was, I think, just sort of like condensing all five of us children into one, they've condensed these various elements that were present in society. You know, my father, when Sputnik went up, my father was giving twice-daily briefings to the Congress um, because of the space race and the sort of fears of the Russian menace. So that was... uh, Clearly, something that was in the backdrop of, of society at the time, um, and so I think one of the easiest ways to manifest that is you got some creepy Russian dude, or that that beautiful Russian spy, or the or the bomb shelters.
3: Yeah, that's that's uh, another good point. Like I said, I, I get the difference that we're making a uh, we're making, they're making a, uh, a a drama as opposed to a documentary, and mm-hmm. so I you know, I think some of the criticism pointed at the program about uh, the way the Uf- UFO field is handled you know, is really not that important. And I, you know, I enjoyed the show, but last night that just wasn't one of my favorite episodes, I guess. So yeah. there you go. Um, I think, I think I kind of asked this before, I'll, I'll give another shot at, because uh, was there a, a UFO case that you're aware of that, that you really enjoyed, that you thought was really a good one other than Dr. Gill and, or Father Gill? A case that really kind of got your uh, attention? Well, I guess, yeah, because I, I, I see it from a different point of view. I mean, I remember taking the call from
4: Charlie Hickson in Pascagoula uh, in 1973, I think, when I was a kid playing kickball outside. And so for me, I had a you know a tangential but personal involvement from that case from the very beginning. And that was a very compelling case to me. And one of the aspects of that that my father really um, highlighted was there was a recorder left on after a police interrogation, and it was clear that these two gentlemen didn't know was on, and their story between themselves stayed very consistent during that point. Um, We
3: we should point out the Pascagoula case, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker uh, claimed to have been abducted um, late in the evening and then returned Moments, not moments, but uh, not long after that, and they went to the police uh, and and talked about this. And there was an investigation, and I know your father was involved in that as well, but you took the phone call from Pascagoula? Yeah, and and for me, I wanted to get back outside and play with my friends,
4: and there's this guy with this extraordinarily drawn-out southern drawl. The word Pascagoula seemed like it took three minutes to get out, and I just wanted to
3: scribble down what I needed and get back out and play kickball. Well, when you say scribble down what you needed, was there a protocol in your house for taking phone calls? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to say
4: that we were, you know, it was like a military drill every day that we went through on, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why. But no, I just scrawled down, you know, a last name and passed Gula and a phone number and that was back out.
3: (laughs) Well, there you go. Your opportunity for the big time, man, you uh, wanted to go I blew it, right? Yeah, absolutely.
4: Hands on a silver Mississippi platter.
3: Ha, ha, did you keep, um, uh, did you watch the Pascagoula case as it developed from that point on, or was it just not that interesting for you after, after you got the information? Yeah, well, having been the, the first investigator on the case, I did maintain
4: a professional <laughs> interest in the case, yes.
3: <laughs> but other than that first conversation with, uh, uh, I guess, would it have been, been um, Hickson? You, you, uh, you didn't interview them again then? No, because I think they wanted to
4: have you know the benefit of other experts in the field take over after I had you know launched it so capably.
3: <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> in the last couple of minutes we have here, other than Pascagoula's is a case, and then that's uh, post Blue Book, of course. Um, right. Other cases that um, that you were interested in, I think you said Bentwaters, um, which would be the Arendts Forest case. Yeah. Yeah, and, we've
4: actually- and Roswell, something that you you're an expert on. You know, to me, one of the interesting things about Roswell is you you've got the and and you may correct me on the various titles, etc. But you have the the person, somebody at the Air Force Base, okays an article to go out in the newspaper saying we captured a flying saucer, right? Uh, and they, and they quickly walk that back. But to me, that's just a fascinating thing that somebody at the base who had authority to make this the press information officer whoever it was who had the authority to do that decided that it was a good idea to announce they'd caught a flying
3: saucer well the authority was colonel blanchard who was the base commander and uh, he he ordered the public affairs officer walter Hott, to issue the press release so it right. was so, it was blanchard who ended up as a four-star general so this great mistake that people claim he didn't made harm, didn't harm right? his career at all right and so
4: and, and to me, that because people ask me about Roswell like I, just by birthright, am an expert, and I'm not. But to me, that one aspect of the case is fascinating. Because clearly Blanchard would not have just johnnyed off and done this without what he felt was sufficient evidence to make
3: you know, the largest claim he's ever going to make in his career. Well, I'm going to have to leave it on that note because we're just flat running out of time. But if you want to know more about Roswell, you should be Roswell in the 21st century by that well-renowned world-famous author Kevin Randall available at amazon as a kindle book so you can get it like immediately if you need it uh paul hynek thank you so much for taking some time from what i assume is a very busy schedule to chat with us about uh, project blue book my pleasure kevin i enjoyed it. okay thank you uh for those of you who want more information i'll have some up on my blog at kevinrandall.blogspot.com uh, later today maybe tomorrow um, so you can learn something about that with kind of a synopsis of last night's episode and that uh, sort of thing i mentioned it earlier i'll mention again the um, roswell book is roswell in the 21st century which is um, sort of a cold case investigation of the roswell case looking at it from a, a frankly a different perspective and trying to bring some logic to all the stuff that's been floating around by that um, also, uh, take a look at xzbn.net, which is the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and you'll find, uh, I think, many interesting programs. Uh, for those of you who have dif- different interests than just UFOs into the paranormal and that sort of thing, you can take a look at some of those interesting programs. And, of course, Rob McConnell's program, um, the X-Zone, the X-Zone uh, prog- program, uh, which I think is uh, always entertaining, if nothing else. As I say, this has been a special edition of A Different Perspective. I was joined by Paul Hynek and we will return sometime soon. Thank you for tuning in.
2: get both the book and the DVD a $40 value for only $19.99 to order your book and DVD today go to lamarzuli.net that's l a m a r z u l l i.net if you are looking for a safe zero calorie natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today just like sugar is what you're looking for